My name is Mairead Kiernan. My name is Ivana Lynch. My name is India Mullen. My name is Emmett Kirwan. Personal Space is about uh, a girl in her 20s called Helen who lives a very, shall we say, closed life. She has her job, she has her home, but she doesn't like to interact very much and she's very private and she believes in rules. And then she gets a new housemate uh, called Lola and Lola is the complete opposite and she kind of turns Helen's little ordered world upside down. Personal Space is a play about roommates, housemates, people living together and, the, you know, different personalities clashing. And it's told from the perspective of the character I'm playing, Helen who I relate to probably too much, uh, but luckily I have my mental health in check. Helen does not. Helen is a true introvert. She likes her space and her quiet and her comforts, you know, her tea and her coziness. The problem is, if you're an introvert, you can just get too far into your own head. Having too many conversations with yourself, too paranoid, and you need to get out of your house and see the world and connect with other people. And Helen doesn't do that. And then this glamorous, sophisticated, very cultured uh, South Dublin young woman comes along starts and moves in and she's her new roommate and Helen is just totally in awe of her and a bit um, infatuated, I think. Not, not romantically, but just like, wow, this person is amazing. And it's that, you know, quite adolescent thing of really wanting to be her friend and wanting to keep up with her and all her weird, obscure references and hobbies and all that. But she can't. Helen just can't. And um, yeah, it's how that relationship evolves. And Helen thinks they're becoming friends and becoming close. And then it takes a turn for the dark. Yeah. I play Lola, who is a housemate of Helen. So she moves into the house kind of unbeknownst to Helen. It's a bit of a surprise on the day. And she is definitely a big personality and a tricky character particularly for someone like Helen. So, um, yeah, she's a lot of fun to play, though. I play the part of Jeff. Jeff is a kind of, you know, wannabe writer, rapper, and uh, he kind of writes these kind of awful pieces <laughs> about life, and he's quite pretentious, and uh, it's a bit of a pseudo-intellectual. I got the idea for the play from house sharing, to be perfectly honest. Although I don't, I never had an experience that went as badly or as dark as Helen and Lola's did. But I did live in um, a shared house in Fibsborough with between three and five people for about seven years. And everyone was really lovely. But God, you can really grate on a person that you're living with. They can really grate on you in a way that people outside the home don't it's almost like their family except you don't always know them even so I started acting when I was quite young as a kid because uh, I was very shy it helped me overcome my shyness I wasn't somebody who was content in my shyness so I liked that acting kind of gave me the words gave me the script I wish I had a more interesting story about how I got my name I think I'm the last of four I'm mean, there's four of us basically and my other three siblings have pretty kind of you know regular names, Ben, Paddy and Connie. And I was the fourth and I think my parents were just maybe having a bit of a suburban crisis and wanted to add a bit of fun into the, the naming process. So um, the others were, my eldest brother was 10 and the other was eight when I was born. So I think they kind of had a say in the choosing and there was talk of, they wanted to put my, added my middle names as Anna and Joan. So I'd be India, Anna, Joan. And um, when the names were in the mix, that one definitely won because of the association. 
for the boys. So yeah, I guess you could say I'm named after Indiana Jones, actually. That's a realisation I'm having now. But yeah, yeah, he's a fun character and a fun kind of accent. You know, I kind of modelled him a little bit on uh, Bob Geldof's accent. <laughs> I don't know why. I had Geldof in my head asking for people for, for, for give us give us your money. You know, we don't really like it. And also that kind of inflection there. There's a modern day thing that's happened um, both in America and Britain and in Ireland called vocal fry. You know, the kind of elongation of vowel sounds that almost dissipate and then they go, uh, uh, you know, man, like kind of. And they often ask questions like, um, you know, BBC Northern Ireland academics and go, I really find I like what it is that you have to say. You know, that kind of thing. So uh, I usually kind of, <laughs> it's just, everything's a question. I thought we'd be watching uh, that new kind of pottery documentary, no? So um, that, that was the vocal uh, flair that I gave it. I kind of thought a lot about loneliness, which is something I do identify with and I think a lot of people do. Sometimes people think that when you're young and fancy free, that, you know, people are just having the best time and that it's full of friends and it's full of dates and it's full of shopping. And the reality is we live in, in Dublin, we live in one of the most expensive cities in the world and there's a lot of, a lot of bad weather and a lot of hardship. And I think... For me, that was one of the things I really wanted to bring to the character and that I had experienced was loneliness in a city and isolation. But then my first professional job came via Harry Potter. There was an open audition, a notice for an open audition in London. Somehow convinced my dad to bring me and yeah, got the part and that was my break into the industry. And I wasn't prepared and I didn't know anything about the business the industry didn't have an agent didn't think I needed an agent all that kind of stuff but it was kind of a perfect first job in that I love the character knew it so well and that rooted me that made me not feel nervous or overwhelmed because I knew and loved the character and that gave me a focus and I, I was able to tune out all the hype and hysteria surrounding Harry Potter. When I got the script I loved it I've lived in so many house shows over the years and I think as well because of the kind of housing crisis like housing crises multiple the fact that rent is so high and our generation is the first generation that are apparently economically in a worse place than our own parents were and it's so hard now for people to buy houses that we we share houses so far into our adulthood and there's so many people in Ireland and all over the world in you know first world countries that previously in other generations would have lived on their own and had a family and now we're all going alongside each other, working and everything in these house shares with other adults. And it's actually a really interesting dynamic because everyone obviously comes to such an intimate space with their own issues and their own kind of strange quirks and stuff. So when I read it, I, I just thought it was so, it's really fun and it's really funny, but then it has this other element of actually very kind of real human observation about this idea of having to share a really intimate kind of part of your life, which is your home with other characters so I just thought that Mairead did that so brilliantly it's so light and funny but still really kind of hits home from not not really young age I was never a stage kid or anything like that I kind of badgered my parents because I wanted to do I was doing drama in school uh, Sloga actually you know the, the, the Irish uh, Oscalga music and drama and so forth and I kind of asked them listen will you send us to a, a drama class and they did but I was quite lucky because somebody recommended that I go to Dublin Youth Theatre, which was a far greater kind of thing than just doing drama classes. It was very much a a youth club for young people and you all kind of got together and wrote plays, directed plays, lit plays, produced them, you know. There was a kind of 
can't remember, was a clubhouse, it's an old Georgian house on, on Gardner Street. And I went there in the 90s. And it was brilliant because it was like 25 quid for the entire year. And they took in people from everywhere in Dublin. They could only take two people from one area. So they had to kind of what would have been diversity then for Dublin, you know, people from all kind of walks of life. And uh, so it was great. It was kind of quite a formative experience in my life because, you know, it opened me up to people from outside of just where I was, you know, where I was from. In Tala is quite big and, you know, you could live all of your youth there and, and, and not meet anybody else from any kind of other walk of life or experience. That was the thing I loved the most. It was theatre and making of theatre. And then I went to Trinity and uh, I studied uh, I studied acting. It was a Bachelor in Theatre Studies with a focus primarily on theatre, you know. So everything's kind of been theatre-based since I was a kid, you know. I mean, to me, writing is just writing and I love going between them. When I made the decision to do a radio drama, part of it was that I had this idea for a story and I'd actually written a short story of personal space before it was a radio drama. And part of it was, I'd always been interested in writing, especially for radio, because I, I like the medium and I like podcasts a lot. But when the pandemic hit, I thought, wow, what could I write that might actually go ahead? <laughs> bearing in mind restrictions and all that and I thought radio drama would be good so I did a radio drama course writing for radio I did it with Des O'Sullivan and I really enjoyed it It was a great course because you got um, a task to do every week you got homework and you got feedback on it whereas some courses that I've done you know you kind of only get one week to submit and everyone discusses your work and the rest of the week you're kind of just reading everyone else's and giving notes and I really enjoyed the course and I knew the PJ O'Connor Prize was coming up in September. So I worked really, really hard to get a submission together for that. And that was personal space. And I also got in the top 1% of BBC Writers Room with the script. So it really stood to me, even, even if, if it had come to nothing. I'm really glad that I actually put the time in to saying, OK, I'm just going to work this script to an inch of its life. Honestly, when it when it ended, I was so confused what to do with my life because I really just wanted to continue acting. But, you know, where do you go after Harry Potter? So I really wanted to be a dancer and I auditioned for dance school, but I didn't have the technical background because I'd spent a lot of those years on sets and I wasn't really developing myself in other ways. So then I was confused and lost for a bit. Went to America because I met a manager and did a lot of training there, different techniques in, in acting, mostly Meisner just more uh, experimental techniques I think and yeah that's where I really was like I don't really I don't really know if it's acting I just know it's storytelling I want to be in performance I want to be in the business of telling stories and being part of stories and all that um so yeah it really kind of refined my commitment to this profession and and this work and gave me more confidence because I think I think a lot of young actors struggle with that when you get into into the business as a child or as a teen you really have that imposter syndrome I didn't train for this I'm not I don't know what I'm doing and do I belong here and I think going to America it really helped me assert that yes I belong here and yes I want to tell stories and I have some sort of Thing to share yeah I think that kind of storytelling performance element was very much part of my upbringing and yeah I was I was leaving school and I was a terrible student <laughs> I was really I just didn't I liked the academics but I just couldn't deal with the format I hated being asked to sit down and <laughs> listen basically <laughs> um so I I figured that doing a course like acting would be 
I would really enjoy that it was so physical. So yeah, so I, I applied for the Gaiety School of Acting and very luckily got in. Going to Trinity wasn't too much of a culture shock because I lived most of my teen years from the time I was 14 in town. You know, I, I, I was always in town and I hung out in town and um, with Dublin Youth Theatre because so going to Trinity was just kind of an extension of that experience of, of being with people from all over the place. It was tough, like Trinity was it was hard going. Like it's um the, the people that were just doing the purely academic course would have been doing about fifteen hours a week, whereas we were doing a very intensive, laborious um training that was started at nine o'clock and ended at six. So you're doing five days a week. A really simple way of learning how to write story is to maybe think about what is the person's goal? And at every story point, are they closer or further away from reaching that goal? And that's a really good place to start. There are stories that break the rules. Absolutely. There are um, movies that and books that delight in doing it. Um, Patterson is one that springs to mind. There is actually a goal and a narrative, but it is quite, quite hidden in it. But if you look at a lot of stories like like superhero moves. If you look at Batman or or Spider-Man, what's their goal and how do they go about achieving it? No, I haven't done much radio, press, interviews, never done a play. Well, hang on, have I? <laughs> I've done bits and bobs, but nothing nothing quite like this, nothing so detailed. I've done a lot of audio, like audiobooks and voiceover, but what I love about this form is how detailed it is. Every line, we're finding all the colour and the texture in, in these monologues and in the characters' conversations, the subtext, and to do all the, the movement and the sound effects. I've never had that, so that was a lot of fun to do. Normal People was... Amazing. It was one of those jobs that I still pinch myself. You know, I'm still not over my gratitude for it. Um, We had Lenny Abramson at the helm, who is another person who I was actually kind of a super fan of. You know, I had watched all of his films. So on the first day, I was just shaking with nerves. I could barely function. But again, he just, I, I respect him so much in that he keeps such a close set. And I think himself and Catherine McGee, um, who produced it, they really choose a crew that are incredibly kind and incredibly talented. So everyone is just really on the ball and really good at their job, but also has a really nice time. So so yeah, it was so much fun. And then we had obviously Paul Meskell and Daisy Edgar-Jones who were playing the leads and it was a really young cast and they just did such a good job of including everyone when they came in and making everybody feel as important. I played Peggy, who's a friend of Daisy's character, Marianne, and yeah, even though I was kind of in and out, it was one of those jobs that felt really, really like a big group of friends making something really exciting. So to have that response to it on top of an already incredible experience was just the cherry on the cake. So Christopher Eccleston and Jimmy McGovern have said that there is a, a dearth of people, you know, diversity, you know what I mean? Now they're, they're making headway in that in, in London. They've got pain casting, you know, where there's they have to open up everything and that, that's that been quite successful that, and people are pushing for that and, and in fairness a lot of people are they're trying but they did make the point that economically if there's only five places that are scholarships and the other 45 let's say in Rada for a year go to people that can afford it then only rich people can go to drama school so Jimmy McGovern and Christopher Ackleson said you know that there is a, it, whereas in the post-war period and I know other people and journalists have been talking about this recently, but in the post-war period, you had free tour level education. You had working class people for the first time 
after Clement Attlee's government brought in free tour level education, the NHS, Open University, you had working class people from working class areas going to university. The Beatles, for example, going to college. They could loaf about for a while. They had a benevolent welfare system that kind of didn't, you know, investigate them or go after them. And then when Thatcher came in, that all changed. As soon as the 80s came in and student fees came back around, a career in the arts is a luxury for somebody. And if you are going to take on what could be in excess of £120,000 in debt, you know, you'd really want to either become a success quite quickly. And if you don't, you know, you're, you're not going to do well. I did a course writing for TV with Red Rock, which was kind of run by the film base at the time. And it was under John York, who wrote Into the Woods. And uh, he's very well respected. He's He was a showrunner for EastEnders, uh, The Archers. And he was the showrunner initially, I believe, for Red Rock. But at the time, I was like young and arrogant. I was like, I don't know who this guy is. You know, he can't be that important, but he was very important. And he always believed in training up writers from the ground up, of taking writers with talent, but teaching them how to construct stories. And that really changed everything for me. I did the course. I learned about Red Rock. We studied scenes. We studied scenes in EastEnders and all the other soaps and it really made me think about the building blocks of story writing and I ended up in Fair City and that's really what we look at and it has uh, absolutely developed me as a writer and changed how I approach story because when I was younger I always believed that the idea was the thing and now I know that the idea is just the beginning and it's actually it's just an age you look at okay well where would the story logically go from here and why I've been writing a lot. I spent the lockdown writing. I wrote a book and that really saved me um, because I would have been so aimless without it, to be honest. So yeah, I have a book coming out. Hopefully that goes well. I'd love to do more writing. The book is a memoir, sort of self-help style book. Um, It's all about the sort of line between self-destruction and creativity about mental health and art and how art really helped me manage my mental health and still does. I just don't believe in this is this bad evil thing that we need to quash out of you. We need to heal and crush out of you really. I found it was like it's this frantic passionate energy that I had turned in on myself but if I turn it outwards into self-expression it's really powerful and really creative. So that that's my book and that's been my journey. Yes, the two leads, Daisy and Paul, were phenomenal. They're just, I just think they're, I mean, they're two of my best friends in the world and I think they're two of the best actors in the whole world. (laughs) Like, I think they're two of the most exciting actors working right now. So getting to see such kind people go on and do amazing projects and, you know, get the acclaim that they deserve is so exciting. Yeah. The misrepresentation of people's lives and lived experiences in these housing estates is one of the main reasons that equal housing estates of similar density and size have not been built. And there's a continual misrepresentation. We don't want these sink estates. My estate was never a sink estate. Nowhere in Talavos. It The only difference about them was that, the only thing that, that, that failed was that the ecosystem that they were supposed to build around that didn't exist when they built the houses. Now, that's not because of planning. The plans were there. Everything was there on the table. But of course, because of the vagaries of budgets and so forth, it just all of these kind of amenities were not built. So what happens is, if you build an ecosystem, and the same goes for tower or top-down living, you know, in tower blocks, if the ecosystem isn't 
properly prepared before you put the people into it, the ecosystem starts to break down. Then it becomes an ecosystem of ill health, becomes an ecosystem of criminality. So you had very well-built homes with very hard-working people living in them, trying their best to do and get ahead without the amenities that were given to other parts of the country. So, of course, on any book, Malcolm Gladwell has a, a book, um, he was talking about this recently, uh, talking to strangers, where criminologists could actually pinpoint, and the majority of the time, crime proliferates in these areas of social degradation, deprivation, I should say, but it's usually from one road that's, that's basically emanating outwards or something like that. You know, so then the entire place gets caught up in this whirlwind of media frenzy. So the way it's misrepresented both now, the way it was misrepresented then, is kind of skewed because most people that are living there or have grown up there were like, well, actually, I had an early time. It's grand. But unfortunately, like, I think we've led, we've listened too much to people about kind of um, home ownership. The idea for me that council houses were built and then sold off is absolutely insane. So in the sense that right now we have a situation where there's council houses in Tala where the rent is €2,000 and the landlord, whose grandparents got that house, moved into it, built by the state, they bought it, are now renting it back to the council for new social housing tenants. So some bright spark in the 80s and 90s thought that this would be a great idea. But the thing is, like, land is finite. They're not built, what's it, you know, get it now because they're not making any more of it. And, you know, one, this, the, the selling off social housing is the definition of the privatisation of public assets. And that's a very contentious issue where people go, you don't want people to own homes. Like, no, you can own a home if you want. It just doesn't have to be a social home. Just if it's a public home, keep it in public ownership. And if they had it done that, you know, half the problems that were existing with now wouldn't, wouldn't exist. Yeah, when I was growing up, so as I say, I had a lot of mental health struggles. Um, but but I and I had a therapist since I was eleven. But I never told anyone I had a therapist. I would I was quite ashamed and embarrassed by it. And I would just say I'm going to see my friend, you know. And nobody knew who this friend was. And now I'm really passionate about speaking about that. I I, I think it's I share it all the time. And I would be a totally different person without my therapist without those years. Um. So I think there's that shame has been removed. And I think it it it's so important, especially in Irish culture, because we we have. Uh, been known to just shame it, it, it makes you go inward and I think when you go inward that's when it's very destructive and that's when it can tear you down and there's something so healing and powerful about expressing it putting it out there uh, rather than bottling it up and just dealing with it in secret um, so yeah I, th- I think absolutely there there is more focus on it and I think it's like as a nation we are healing 